If you're studying for the CISSP, CCSP, or CISM certification, you'll probably get a lot of benefit from the WANA Practice app at wanapractice.com. Hundreds of practice questions unavailable anywhere else, all in a simple interactive format, which you can access through any device with a browser. Check out the show notes for a discount code for half off the regular price. Wanna practice? Success and certification is in your hands. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the sensuous sounds of infosec where we discuss all things information all things security and all things information security i'm ben maliso and i'm matt snotty and i'm rafael fiedler and boy golly howdy have we got just a plethora of stuff to discuss this week and when i say this week i mean probably a week and a half in the future i mean I, you know we're, we're we're recording this way in advance so i apologize if anything uh seems dated to our three listeners but uh we've got a variety of things to cover first um our good friend mr bankman freed sbf which is not a rating on sunscreen has been found guilty of seven charges uh in federal court and is facing 110 years of uh, prison time if uh, he receives max sentence for each of them. Obviously, that's probably not going to happen. But uh, so far, it um, seems like justice has been meted out. What do you all think? Um, uh, just to recap, so th this was the FTX thing, right? It, it was yes. a crypto scam. It was like a... Uh, a Ponzi scheme, a something like actually, that. Actually, actually, it seems like his trading was pretty good. Like he actually did shepherd the money properly towards uh, making the investments grow for his investors. The problem was he kept borrowing from them personally. <laughs> right. He would just dip into the till and take however much he wanted to the tune of, I think, seventy-two billion dollars. Ooh. Man, a billion here, a billion there. Pretty soon you're talking real money. It adds up, doesn't it? <laughs> and wasn't it like it was two companies as well, wasn't it? It was not yeah, just he was FTX. Funding the one with the other one. Exactly. To his company. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, I don't have an advanced degree in money laundering, but um, taking money from one company and putting it into another unilaterally without any financial controls and oversight is still theft it's 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 not a good way to throw them off your track you know that's that's not a good scent uh yeah <laughs> so uh, and and all this happened really quickly it seems like the, yeah I mean, he ftx just collapsed like what six months ago eight months ago something like that it was and, and he's already been on trial and now uh convicted this, this is, is the way this is the way justice is supposed to work we yeah. are supposed to have a speedy trial in this country. And as a matter of fact, um, it's really kind of funny because prosecutors in this country are sometimes pushed up against, um, I forget the name of the request. It's named after a certain finding, a certain uh, case uh, that reached the Supreme Court and a certain decision that was made. And I forget the name of it. But when the defendant demands their right to a speedy trial, from that moment, the clock starts ticking and they have a certain amount of time to start the trial, to bring the charges and, and actually have the, the case. In this country, many prosecutors, particularly federal prosecutors, drop charges when faced with that demand because mm. they're so used to piling on um, charges as a way to force a plea agreement that when you hold their feet to the fire, they can't possibly prepare um uh trial uh, enough evidence for all of those charges um so they end up dropping uh if not all a few of them um mm -hmm. but this is the way it's supposed to go you're not supposed to wait two years for the whole thing to unravel it's supposed to be a a simple straightforward process um and this is even including an extradition uh, yeah yeah because yeah. he's in the bahamas or something like that somewhere in the caribbean i think so i think so yeah yeah wow and uh so, well, good. I mean, the, the guy sounds like, uh, from, from all accounts, he sounds like a smart person, but he also uh, did a lot of very criminal things. And I think it sounds like he's getting kind of what he deserves. 
Uh, you're, you're, you're grimacing, Ben. <laughs> what do you I, I just think he overestimated his own smartness. Yeah, I think I so think, too. <laughs> I think On multiple he, occasions. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, there was an excellent quote from, uh, another writer I'm going to try to find right now. Um, he may have been, you know, this is the problem with autists and nerds like us. We may be really, really good at one particular thing. And that leads us to believe that we're good at everything. And that's <laughs> much like pilots. That's simply not the case. Doctors, lawyers. <laughs> Here, here's the quote from Megan McArdle. Bankman Freed was better at calculating odds than an ordinary person, but he still miscalculated a lot, including, I think, on the odds that he might go to jail. <laughs> Most important, he miscalculated the risk that he might be miscalculating. Mm, yep. And yeah. now... From a security perspective, I don't know about y'all, but I always overcompensate for erring on the side of safety and security. Mm -hmm. um, I, I always factor in uh, the possibility that I'm screwing something up. For instance, when we talk about like uh, BCDR, business continuity disaster recovery, we talk about maximum allowable downtime or maximum tolerable downtime. The amount of time you can go without your critical path before you're company goes out of business, right? Mm -hmm. And and that'll be different for every company. For some companies, it's two minutes. For some companies, it's two weeks. Yeah. Underneath that is the RTO, the recovery time objective. If I suffer an interruption in my critical path, how quickly can I resume that critical path either with an alternate set of resources or in an alternate location? Your RTO must necessarily be less than your MAD. Now, for me, whenever I'm doing this planning, I never make my RTO 90% of the MAD because that's just <laughs> stupid. Yeah. You're, you're considering the fact. Yeah, right? You know, mine's usually less than half. Mine's usually around 40% yeah. of the MAD. That way I've got enough wiggle room there because during a disaster, you know you're not going to be responding properly. You have to factor in the fact that you're going to fuck something up during a disaster. That's the whole point of it. Um, and so, yes, miscalculating your miscalculation, that's that's a big deal. <laughs> Rafti, you were going to jump in there. Yeah, I wanted to quickly add, of course, like if you you need to start somewhere and having some sort of like business recovery plan um, in place is better than nothing, but you should not stop working with it. And I know like a quick fix usually like is the the as good for as long as it works, which is bad, bad practice. And I agree that the goal should be reducing it to half. And I feel like with two minutes, of course, this, this will be maybe like in some cases, almost impossible. But with two weeks, if you have two weeks already and you, you're like sure about those two weeks, you know you can stop optimizing and start focusing on other work if you already have a plan that's like uh, a week or, or less than that. So I you're feel like this is how you should, Exactly. Yeah. I feel like this is how you should think about it. Just if anybody's scared when listening to this, um, Maybe maybe take a look and reassess because those numbers change as well. Some stuff gets harder, some stuff gets faster. Um, so maybe your times change, and I don't know. Like the same as you should check your passwords for uh, if you have been pwned. Maybe check um, like <laughs> all those numbers from time to time as well. Maybe Very a good, good. reminder. I, I, I totally agree. Um, speaking of billions, we're going to get to your password pwning in just a second. Um, billions, <laughs> billions adding up. Uh, I know we've talked about this at least three times on previous episodes. The White House's Internet Service Provision, uh, their their idea to get rural high speed broadband to everyone. Uh, the program allocated forty two point four five billion dollars to drag fiber to hillbillies. And and oh, and we've discussed way to be this. reductive there. <laughs> we've oh okay. Let's not be reductive. Let's get into some detail. I'm going to put a link to an excellent report that was created by uh, uh, the Senate, um, where they drill down on this program and how awful it is. And we've talked about reasons why it could be awful, and we talked about in some cases uh, in Alaska, it was. Um, going to the point where each house that was being connected was costing 200,000 taxpayer dollars in order to make that connection. Well, this report 
<laughs> points out other errors in this program, including the fact that this program is not unique in its intent, that there are at least 15 other programs in the federal government trying to achieve the same end, and that this program did not take into account allocations that those other programs have made. So in some cases, the allocations that this new program is making is adding cash on top of other cash to the mm -hmm. point where some houses are being connected for $547,000. Now, does that mean they get two internet connections or is it just one internet connection? <laughs> Party line? I don't know. I, I don't know. Do they get their own satellite? I, right. I'm, it's absolutely staggering. And this program, when they did the allocation, they didn't do it based on how many hillbillies live in your jurisdiction. They did it based on how can we favor each jurisdiction by showering money with it. So for instance, one of the jurisdictions that gets some of this money is Washington, DC. Now, Rafti, I know you're not an American. You're 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 a fuzzy foreigner and and we will we will excuse you any lack of knowledge in this regard. Washington DC is the size of a postage stamp. It is a tiny tiny little area. It's district 1 from Hunger Games, okay? And <laughs> and this area cannot be considered rural. It cannot mm. be considered remote by its nature and design. There's probably more fiber cable in that one square mile of the capital of the U.S. than anywhere else on the planet. That's my guess. Washington, D.C. still got allocations. Washington, D.C. has what's called underserved areas, according to this allocation program. 33% of those are on grounds owned by the National Zoo. <laughs> well, if they're going to run fiber to the monkey house and have allocated half a million dollars to do so, I'm really considering that my politicians are crazier than I thought. <laughs> Especially now, like if if it is like for the suit, I mean, they can just lay some normal cat five cables into the ground. I mean, they own the property. They don't have to fuss around like with, because in the past we talked about telephone uh, poles and like that the power oh, company yeah, and the telephone and, company, yeah, yes, and stuff, exactly. they don't share the same, the same infrastructure and so on. But if it's all like by the Sioux, I guess they should like dig their own, like trenches and lie their own cables, you know, and it does not have to be fiber for them as well. You know, I think cat, like <laughs> a regular copper cable should suffice. <laughs> and if you're going to the zoo, yeah, be at the zoo. You don't no. need high speed internet while you're at the zoo. At, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm already getting told for this, but <laughs> when I see those kids running around, I feel like, they, they, you want to be prepared for the metaverse, Ben. I think that's where you're like, <laughs> and your maybe phone a bit. will suffice. 5G will handle it. Uh, now, who knows? Who knows? Maybe great Wi Fi. And when you have your meta quest uh, on your face while you watch at the monkeys, I could almost, I could almost get on board with making sure <laughs> that Native Americans who are forced to live on reservations can have high-speed internet. I can almost get on board with taxpayer dollars going to do that in some remote corner of Wyoming. Making sure that there are, I'm looking at this map and I'm trying to count how many, that 24 different hotspots inside the zoo's park are wired up, <laughs> that is a misallocation of funds. Now, the reason I bring this up is not just because it's a shitty government program. We've done that to death. The reason I bring this up is that this week, the White House asked for $6 billion more billion to accomplish this project. Hmm. Now, so just <laughs> a quick question. Was it, you said 500K per line, or is this just a in, roundabout in number? In D.C. That's in, in D.C. And now 24 again, of them are in the zoo. 
Correct. Well, no, 24 are in this park. 33% of all of DC's underserved locations are in the zoo on zoo okay. property. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I was just curious, but it's not, it's not enough money, but like, there's a lot of money wasted in the zoo. <laughs> of course. It, like, I, 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 Are you questioning the validity of having a zoo in the first place? Is that what we're getting? No, 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 no. I love <laughs> zoos. The zoos <laughs> no, but you don't need, as Ben was saying, I so agree with no internet, like that this, the regular cell phone capabilities should be enough for any zoo. Uh, you don't need some, some fiber running into it, I guess. Uh, I don't know how big the it fucking is. Point. But... The fucking point was supposed to make sure that no American was yeah. left behind in their financial, recreational, and educational opportunities, not so that the zebras could browse at a decent pace. That was not the idea. <laughs> or at least that's, that's how it was so sold, right? right. right. Now, yeah. if you say, okay, we can do this for $42.45 billion, I, I, I argued against it. I, you know, I, I had two alternative solutions off the top of my head, which were, you know, buy everyone Starlink or give them a down payment for a house closer to a city. You know, I mean, the, the, you, you, there were alternatives <laughs> here that were cheaper than doing this. With that said, if you come back and say you need another six billion dollars, you're either admitting that you miscalculated and fucked up and therefore I don't want to trust you with another dime or two, you're just seeing this as an opportunity for a cash grab and kiss my ass. And as we've already pointed out, who's the money going to? It's not going to the families that are receiving high-speed internet. It's going to the telcos as subsidies, direct cash payments. And that's ridiculous. We're propping up archaic technology and technology providers as opposed to allowing that money to stay in the market and encourage innovation and research and development, finding alternative solutions to addressing this issue, or at least allowing people to buy alternatives with the money that they get to save in their pockets. This is just so absurd and ridiculous and abhorrent. I, and, and as Matt said, after a while, after a few billion dollars, it starts to add up to real money, right? <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, with when you're talking government spending, uh, $6 billion, it's not that much of an overrun, really, in in, in the grand scheme of, I mean, it, it sounds like a lot of money to us, obviously, because I don't have a billion dollars, or much less $6 billion or $42 billion or whatever. But I mean, government programs, uh, thats that tends to be the, the, the case with just about anything. Once the government gets its hand on in, into something, then yeah, cost overruns are always the uh the the norm really there was but... a there was a senator from my state when i was growing up i think his name was bob caston and he used to go through the federal budget each year and hand out what he called the golden fleece awards um for the stupidest shit that we paid tax money to do and i think this this ranks among them and remember how last week we said that we could have saved white castle for one one hundredth the amount of legal consulting fees than than white castle's lawyers uh ended up uh sacrificing to the to the judgment um i i would be glad to go connect these houses in alaska at one tenth the price the federal government is paying <laughs> matt you want to come roll some fiber with me <laughs> no Knowing how both you and I uh, dislike uh, manual labor, it might take us a while just to get the first house even hooked up. <laughs> it's very simple. We're going to hire day laborers as contractors. It's, yeah. it's, it's a piece of cake, Matt. Run down to Home Depot. Absolutely. <laughs> Throw some guys in the back of your pickup truck. Yeah. There's plenty of guys willing to work real hard in the outdoors and make a good buck, right? Or even better, all we do is we what we do is we take the government money, we then spend a tenth of it buying Starlink devices. We mail them to all the all the people. We say, okay, when you get your government survey, did did we come by and yeah, did we up? get did we get broadband? Yes, yes. we did. Yes. <laughs> Box checked and we pocket, you know, uh however many billion that we saved. <laughs> I'd be happy with just two billion. That I'd be fine with. How about you, Matt? Is that, is that... Uh, sure? Yeah, are we splitting fifty-fifty? Yeah, because we're not cutting R Rofty in on any of this, obviously. No, no, not not <laughs> not, not Rofty. No, no. What I'm saying, just with the six billion, you get two, I get two. We spend two on making all the customers happy. Maybe. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. Yeah, I can retire right. on that. But... Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> okay, maybe then just another quick um, side notes here because you were mentioning Starlink all the time, and of course, like they're also one company. It would 
be not like developing the future because this Correct. is a developed. You don't want to technology. subsidize just one provider. It's exactly. A bad idea. Exactly. Yes. So maybe establishing a second one would be interesting. Um, I uh, did a fairly quick web search. Um, there, there's much... also Hughes. There's also Dish. There are other ones as well. No, but I wanted to look up how much a Starlink satellite actually costs because they are small. They're not as big. They're not the those. Very, oh, you mean very getting a satellite for each reservation or each hillbilly enclave? You need more than one because they're not like gear locked. They move faster than the Earth. Um, okay. But um, one Starlink satellite is estimated to cost around, like with the launch to get it up and everything, $250,000. That's it? A quarter mil? Are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, it's because of what we said. The boosters are reusable. Sure, sure, sure. And, but I mean, that's they're you know, very even reliable if we paid now. an overage, even if we paid 300 grand, Matt, yeah. you and I, with just that $2 billion? We could have our own fleet of satellites. <laughs> that sounds pretty pretty appealing. Yeah, I could go right? for that. <laughs> oh hell yeah! You could stick uh, SSOI uh, Badger stickers on on the solar panels of each of them. And <laughs> <laughs> I think um, that would be cool as hell. Absolutely. Yeah. Are you kidding me? That's delivered to space. Two hundred fifty grand. Yeah, yeah. They they're deliver. So they're delivering in volume. Yes, exactly. Which brings us to our Musk scent of this week. Um, we had put this in the Discord chat. Um, Starlink is quickly becoming the majority of active satellites in yep. space. Mm -hmm. And by, what what did Musk say, next year? I think 25, 2025, yeah. 20, 2025, the majority of all satellites launched into space will have been Starlink. Yeah, yeah. That's insane. Yeah, and after you had posted that, I I was like, how many do they actually have? Like, you know, a dozen, three dozen, a hundred, something like that. And then I pulled it up, and I and they, they, you can pull up a live map of where every Starlink satellite is across the globe. It is insane the number. <laughs> I was gobsmacked at how many thousands of those satellites are up there. They're everywhere. <laughs> it's it's like mosquitoes on a on a dead carcass. And they are very small. They yeah, are yeah, yeah, like yeah. in comparison because the old ones are more like a bus and this is more like a backpack. Like they yeah. are not very big. And, and, it, and it's funny because I know Bill Gates is eating crow right now. He proposed this back <laughs> in, the, in the 90s. He proposed uh, sending up a fleet of satellites that would be the size of soda cans. And I think he was probably overconfident there. Um, to surround the planet and give everybody high-speed internet. That was his vision. I don't think the technology was there yet. The rocket technology was definitely not there yet. Yeah. But when, but if you're talking a quarter million delivered, that's that's impressive as hell. I mean, that's that's yeah. that's a yeah. huge cost save. That that's less than a house in the U.S. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which goes back to what you were talking about originally: half a million dollars to run a piece of fiber to a to a house. Go most buy them those, a house. Yeah, most of those houses are, you know, a, a fraction of that, a quarter of that. Yeah. <laughs> the average house in America is like one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And you're, I don't think so anymore. But at least, oh, oh, at least the houses in the rural areas yeah. where we're delivering it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if they, if they're houses that happen to be on wheels, <laughs> that's even cheaper. Oh uh, my goodness! Just pay them to move. Uh, move the house. It's on, yeah. on wheels. Hook a, a rig up to it and yeah. <laughs> drag it. Um. All right. So talking about the the ponage of passwords. Um, the SEC uh, Security and Exchange Commission uh, made some interesting news this week by filing criminal charges against an executive. Was it the IT executive or security executive? CISO. At was it the CISO? Uh huh. At Solar Winds, um, you, who wants to do a quick rundown of the Solar Winds thing? What is Solar Winds and what happened? Uh, I can probably explain a little bit because I'm probably a little bit more familiar with it. Solar Winds has been around for decades. Um, it's a software suite that is usually marketed to IT teams, MSPs, and the like who manage uh, a lot of computer assets, and and it basically gives you remote management uh, uh, and tools and consoles to to um, basically deploy software, manage patches, uh, get alerts, all the all, all those types of things. And as a uh, pseudo MSP myself, I, I, I use a similar piece of software. I don't use SolarWinds, but SolarWinds has marketed themselves pretty heavily for a long time. The main reason I've never liked them is because they've always been expensive, but they've always had really, really cool tool, tools. And, well, and they had a significant 
percentage of that market, didn't they? Yeah, they had a big market share. Yes, they were very successful uh, company. This wasn't a small time company. This was, a, 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 I'm guessing, a billion dollar company. Uh, easily, probably. easily. Yeah. Um, um, and so, they yeah. got popped. Yeah, uh, 2020, um, they had a breach and because their software is deployed by third parties, other, you know, IT people, security people like myself, um, you know, it's, it's either resold or white, white labeled or something like that. Um, when they got breached, then the people who had had their uh, computers on their network were also, uh, some of them, not all of them, were also breached. And they, uh, SolarWinds had to do a whole lot of really quick patching, backtracking, trying to plug up the holes to try to keep the thousands and thousands of computers that have a SolarWinds agent on it from uh, leading to further compromise. And we're talking not just like a data exfiltration breach. We're not just talking about someone going in and copying some PII. When we talk about a breach of solar winds, because it gives administrative control of all these networks, if you broke that, you basically had control of all these client networks or poten potentially. I mean, yes. the, the possibility was there. So this was a very significant um, in, in fraction, right? Yeah. And, and if you want to the details of the, uh, the, the actual breach was there agent itself, which kind of like Rafi's familiar with, I'm sure with being a software developer, you, you, you publish an update and it goes to a repository. That update then gets pushed to all the, all the devices that, that check for the agents or, or for the updates. Uh, someone got control of that repository. <laughs> and so therefore and you can able, push whatever you want they were under the guise of being solar winds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they put up a new executable and guess what? That new executable had uh, malware in it. So yeah. It should be signed. It should be signed. It depends on but where it, you are in the chain. But it was signed. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But it was signed by Solar Winds because yes. the attackers were inside. The call was coming from inside the house, <laughs> When you have the private key of the signing certificate. Yes. <laughs> you can you, do whatever right. the hell you want. So yeah. now, the SEC, now yeah. the SEC is bringing charges against Solar Winds, not because Solar Winds was victimized. All right. And again, I, I've never liked piling on the victim. The criminals are the criminals. They're the bad people. However, the reason the charges were brought against the CISO, the reason the charge was brought against Solar Winds, is because Solar Winds was marketing itself as a secure solution and had a responsibility of due care to their customers in ensuring that their product was secure. They had to anticipate that this was an attractive nuisance, that criminals would target them and go after them. And not only were they negligent in providing this protection, they knew about it and they continued to fail to act. The SEC has made public internal communications within SolarWinds, including from the CISO, with the knowledge that these vulnerabilities existed and solar winds and the CISO's failure to act to remedy these things. Now, I don't like criminal charges for business people just because criminals do bad things, but this kind of rises to the level of malfeasance and is kind of tantamount to selling snake oil in the guise of uh, vitamins and minerals and a cure-all, right? Yeah. Um, how do you all feel about that? Is that now, and, and it's worth pointing out, and this is why I started with the password ponage. One of the many things that the SEC highlighted is that SolarWinds own remote password to their CDN, uh, Akamai was SolarWinds123, all lowercase. Yep. All lowercase. <laughs> they didn't even put a, an exclamation point at the end or anything. <laughs> so, so again, how do you how do you all feel about this before I continue ranting? I tend to so the reason the SEC got involved is because it was manipulating the stock value essentially. So because, by not admitting that they were flawed, right? Right, right. Because if they all of a sudden had to uh, go out and patch all this stuff prior to getting popped, uh, they risked uh, tanking their their stock even you know a few percentage points, and that could be uh, disastrous uh, from a stockholder standpoint. They didn't want to do that, so. They took the other option of, well, let's just patch it up, cover it up, hide it as much as we can, keep our stock values high and our stockholders happy. 
<laughs> and that's why the SEC got involved. So, yeah, to, to, to Which that Which is point, an oblique way of doing a criminal charge, but okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I see where they're coming from. Right, right. right. It's kind of like, you know, using the RICO laws to go after Al Capone. You know, however you have to, have to, you have to get, get to it. But yeah, uh, the, uh, the SolarWinds CISO was motivated by the stockholders to basically not, not fix these things because they, they didn't want to see their stock lose value. And to that point, yes, it was it was criminal. I, if all this bears fruit and and every, what everything that is being alleged uh, shows to be true, then yeah, I I agree hundred percent that this um, the CISO has to ha, has to hold himself to a higher standard. And he and the CISO was getting good information that these were real problems. They you know as a normal security company would do. They were getting regular vulnerability assessments. Uh, they were doing internal uh, 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 scans and checks of, of stuff like that. They knew, they were aware that this was a major vulnerability, and yet the decision made by the CISO against the advice of his subordinates was, we're not going to change anything, presumably because it would it would either break stuff and cause the stock to go down or or something else would happen and the stock would go down, and he had a, uh, an incentive not to do that. And a vested interest. Also, like many of the C-suite, is receiving part of his recompense in the form of stock options, if not direct uh, grants of blocks of shares. Yeah, so yeah. You know, it was looking out for his own valuation, right? Yeah. Rafti, how do you feel about this? You are in the C-suite of your company. <laughs> you do uh, offer a secure product. Uh, how, yeah. how do you feel about the threat of jail time? Uh, oh, <laughs> horrible. Um, but uh, I wanted to quickly say uh, earlier, because you said like with the private keys, our most important private keys are stored on an external device and it's not connected. So password Rafti one, two, three. No, of course it. not. No, of course <laughs> not. No, but we use security keys for most of that stuff. And if we sign something, we, we have to plug the security key in. Uh, to sign to sign important things, and, and I, know, I know I don't want you to breach your own security controls here publicly, but I imagine you have two person integrity. You have strict controls on that external device. Only certain people are allowed. You have an access control absolutely. list. Okay. Yeah, you yeah. Absolutely. Put into place good practices. The the best um, industry standards in order to protect that stuff. Right. Of course, of course. But the the situation which I can see is, and I feel like I did we write about this on discord earlier some of that stuff is legacy and uh, same thing like with the toyota thing where i'm like i i still understand that some legacy that some issues are like uh, based on decisions on decisions on decisions and it's absolutely, just like oh, absolutely Abs and i don't envy a CISO coming in today because they're inheriting yeah. two decades worth of shit that they yeah. didn't put into i totally get that however when one of your functionaries is using SolarWinds123, all lowercase, as a password, that is not a legacy problem. That is your failure to lead. About a decade ago, there was a massive house cleaning in the U.S. military. I think a three-star and two-star officer were fired. These are generals and admirals. Because um, when there was an audit done of the nuclear weapon stockpile, our inventory, they found the auditors found a number of errors, including an E3 guard standing at the gate playing games on his phone when they approached. And you don't cashier the E3. That's not the E3's fault. It's mm -hmm. the fault of the senior manager who allowed an atmosphere and a culture to develop where some guard felt that it was okay to look at your phone while on guard duty. So you don't blame the kid at the gate, you blame the general or the admiral. And that makes sense. In this case, I'm seeing the same thing. This was the CISO's fault for not managing and shepherding uh, his resources. Yeah. Do we know how long he has been in that role? Like, was he in there for 10 years? Long, en long enough to ignore advice and send yes. messages to say, don't worry about it. Again, again, if this was a different situation, if this was someone who came in and if this was me and I was hired last week and I got this shovel full of crap and I said, okay, we're stopping everything else and we're going to fix all these problems beginning now, that would be one thing. That, that's not what happened here. <laughs> this is a CISO covering up, whether it was his fault or whether it was his predecessor's fault. Uh, yeah, it's pretty clear that 
he screwed the pooch here, right? And and, and it's clear, uh, or it should be made clear also, uh, SolarWinds is a publicly traded company, which means they are under completely different regulations, and that, which is why the SEC gets involved. If you're a privately held company, which Rafi, your company is, my company is, Ben, your company is, we're, we're all privately held. We are not beholden to external stockholders and we're not beholden to the regulations of the SEC or any other governing body. Then it's a totally different different ball game. It's not criminal if if you just you know it could be criminal, something. yeah, but it would be fraud. It'd be a different yeah. thing than than manipulating share price. So right, I mean, it'd right. be a different set of charges. Yeah, right, right. So to that standard, yeah, yeah, and and anyone in the scene in the C suite of a publicly held company is held to those same standards. Any any one of them could be criminally charged for manipulating stock prices, insider trading, all those types of things, which is a good thing. We agree on that. And, and I think we even said on, on a, a fairly recent episode that even the appearance of a security person cashing out their shares during a situation, even if it's legit, even if it was planned well in advance, even if it is not actual malfeasance, it has the appearance of it. And that yeah. reputational damage to our industry and to our practice is negative enough. And and even that we should avoid. So what this yeah. person did, as much as I don't like the idea of executives going to prison for being executives, um, I don't mind it if they're criminals. That's, yeah. that's an okay thing. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, I shared another thing in the Discord as well. Uh, we were talking about... Um, uh, a postulation by another security practitioner said, hey, at your next tabletop exercise for your BCDR, throw out this hypothesis. Your CISO is being investigated by federal authorities <laughs> and evidently has been covering up security flaws for the past five years. What do you do? <laughs> and, and as the COO, the CEO, the security director, what would you do in that situation? That's a really good hypothetical. And I think it's worth it for companies today to start considering this stuff because it's been happening, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sadly, which is partly why we're saying like, um, it's a good thing if they're being charged, it's a good thing to call stuff like that out and to sort of like police our industry a little bit and, and tell everybody loud and clear that we should have a higher ethics standard and, um, yeah, or at least the appearance of a higher, higher ethical standard. <laughs> right. We have to we have to look sacrosanct, right? We we have to appear incorruptible. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I think that there's a trend not just among the C-suite, among executives, but just among uh, the population in general that if you're a technical person, which uh, not all CISOs are technical necessarily, but but they have a, some, some technical stuff they're always kind of shoved off to the side because they, they they don't play with all of the other finance and, and accounting executives well because they're not necessarily business people they're techie types they're they're, they're pushing their horn rimmed glasses up on their nose and uh going off and muttering about you know ports and firewalls and stuff like that and if you're a true CISO, you 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 have to keep them at the conversation. You have to keep them at the table <laughs> and engage with them, and not just kind of be like, "Well, they're off playing with their toys," and you know, leave them to do their own little thing. No, they, you got to hold them to the same standards as everybody else. Agreed, if not higher standards. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, let's talk about our industry real quick. I meant to discuss this on our last episode. I apologize for the delay. Uh, for those of you who are interested in attaining the CISSP credential, uh, you should know that the uh, most recent update is going to be published. It's it's actually um, uh, starting to take effect. They've they've finished the draft. They've they've issued the new outline, and it is available for review. I will put a link in the show notes. Um, it's going to take effect. Uh, April 15th, 2024, meaning uh, if you take the exam up until April 14th, you'll be using the current exam outline. Um, but after that, the new exam outline will be the one that is tested. With that said, um, there have been major revisions in the past going from one outline to the next. Um, famously, there was the evolution from eight domains to 10, and then from 10 domains back down to eight. There's been addition of cloud information, AI, um, virtual machines, you know, as the technology in our, and our industry evolves, the exam outlines and the tests have reflected this. This particular new incarnation 
is almost word for word the same thing as the previous, that is, current version of the exam outline. The changes are so small as to be negligible, which is good news for people who are studying. Uh, there's plenty of study material currently available. It's not going to be outdated. There are a few details that have been added. There's a couple new subtopics, uh, but nothing really major or significant. For people like me who make review material for uh, training to pass these exams, it's kind of a pain in the ass because now I have to go through and redo all my stuff, but for really minor reasons with no huge additional benefit. Um, I thought you were going to say that it's a boon for people like you because you get to do a new edition of all of your stuff and you make people rebuy. <laughs> oh no, you're on you're on the fourth version. Now I'm on the fifth version. It's like the college professors that make you get the <laughs> the new textbook. And and I will do that just because you have to. I mean, yeah. you know, customers demand that it be the current version, um, even as much as I assure them that the previous, you know, whatever they still want that. Um, I, and I will beat everybody else to market. Wanna Practice is already developing its CISSP 2024 question set. Guess what? It looks a lot like the <laughs> 2021 question set. But, but, is, um, but is Triffid still a still a company? Or, still, or have... still the Triffid Corporation. Yes, <laughs> okay. yes. But Ben, you have to say the stuff that the customers are asking for. It's now AI improved, and it comes yeah. like mili with military <laughs> encryption and everything. You know, that's and, and even though and it's all put through them, a CASB. Yes, and, <laughs> and even though you tell them it's uh -huh. it's still uh -huh. almost the same. If the if the buzzwords aren't there, they're not buying. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and that is the sad truth. Um, I will be putting out a video at some point, a very, very short thing that discusses the difference between the two for those who don't want to go and read the two outlines. Super cool. uh, again, yeah, yeah, I don't think it adds much value to the discussion, but some people just want a quick, you know, five minute video instead of reading. And that's fine. Um, and I'll put a link to that uh, in the show notes and on the Securitized website whenever I get around to it. And to, to um, the point of studying for CISSP, if you are a current candidate, if you're studying for CISSP, don't feel like you have to, not not to diminish Ben's contributions, but don't feel like you have to go out and buy all new stuff <laughs> just because they've please don't. the outline. Please don't do that. Yeah. I'll tell know. you real world, when I studied for my CISSP, I was using 10-year-old study materials and I still passed it. I did not buy the latest and greatest. I'm not necessarily recommending that for everybody out there, but the, 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 the concepts, the things that it teaches you, the fundamentals don't change significantly. They haven't changed for 20 years when I got my CISSP. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, if you're studying and you, and you feel like I don't have the, the resources to go get new, all new stuff, don't worry about it. Just, just keep plugging at it. <laughs> keep learning. You'll get there. Matt speaks the truth. Matt speaks the truth. And, and, you know, and I don't want to downsell our market or anything, but if you buy the previous edition, you're going to be fine in almost every certification. Yeah. There are very few certs that change significantly, right? Yep. All right, good. Um, final thing I wanted to discuss today was um, Americans are a bit more free and a bit more safe, including those Americans in California. <laughs> <laughs> a federal judge uh, recently struck down what California likes to think of as an assault weapons ban that it's had in place for a significant amount of time. Um, this ban was on certain scary looking weapons and accessories. And a federal judge uh, said that in light of recent Supreme Court decisions and in longstanding tradition with the Second Amendment, these are arbitrary uh, and counter to the Constitution and human rights. Um, this is fascinating. And I will say this, that the federal judge originally said that the uh, law itself was to be uh, immediately um, vacated, to, to not be held as, as the standard anymore, and that the rights of uh, the citizens of California should be restored immediately. That judge was... Um, uh, superseded by a panel of the district court who said, no, 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 no. If this is a constitutional question, the law stays in effect until the Supreme Court can make a final determination because the state is appealing it. 
So mm. if you're in California, don't go buy an assault weapon right now or don't change the accessories and hardware on your current gun. Um, just wait until SCOTUS goes ahead and reinforces what the federal judge said. Uh, the interesting thing that I found about this, and this is kind of interesting um, just as an overall legal standpoint, the recent Supreme Court decisions that have supported private gun ownership have changed the standard that courts need to use or states need to use when justifying in uh, making an infraction on personal rights. The standard used to be if the state could show an offsetting benefit to making the law and impinging on someone's personal liberties, then the state was justified in making that. So for instance, if you could say this law saves 10 lives, therefore your right to free expression has to be reduced. They could make that claim. And the Supreme Court would in the past recognize that claim. The new standard has been changed to no, you have to show that there is a tradition and history in our country of similar laws that have been recognized as appropriate by courts. So this is for states to go through and look at the past 200 and some odd years of American existence, find laws that have been similar and apply them to these current laws and say, here, look, in Wyoming in 1857, there was a law saying you couldn't have this kind of firearm, and therefore that's why our laws are still good and valid. In the particular California situation, the state failed this effort, uh, according to the federal judge, numerous times. They went so far, and this is kind of reprehensible, I think, the state of California went so far as to put as their historical validation laws against blacks owning firearms in the deep south following reconstruction after the civil war and the federal judge said look the fact that you're using this as your evidence of a valid historical claim to promote human rights for you know a particular and in fact, what the law itself was, was a violation of someone's human rights. You're not making your case and no California, you have failed this test miserably. And, and I'm kind of amazed at the hubris of California lawmakers to even attempt using that as justification. I would have shied away from that. I, I, I would have wanted to held myself at arm's length from that one if I was trying to say that this is a good thing to do. Um, so it's gonna be very interesting to see how that goes. I myself had to give up a couple of very nice firearms when I moved to California. I will forever think fondly back on my MAK-90 and my micro Uzi that I had to get rid of uh, when I went to that that place. Uh, but wait, I mean, when you moved there, what did they have somebody at the border, you know, as you were crossing over from Nevada and, and they were like, all right, any of these weapons you have to relinquish or what? Here's the terrible thing about laws, and I think you just hit the nail on the head, Matt. Why do I care, even though there, there are plant inspectors at the border between Nevada and California, when you drive there, you have to stop and tell them you don't have any plants. What? Okay. <laughs> you said plant. I thought you meant like machinery. And no, no, plant, industry. plant, plant. <laughs> like, like leafy green things. Yes, yes. Chlorophyll. Yes, okay. Yes, there are checkpoints. <laughs> okay. Okay. There are. This is okay. a thing. Okay. So if you drive from like Vegas to LA, you have to stop and say, no, I don't have any plants. Now, nobody has looked in my car for plants ever. And have I had plants in my car? Yes, I have. <laughs> so you lied? I lied. I lied. I lied. You took an oath. You took an oath. I know. I lied flat out. I had a banana. I had, you know, there was a few, you know. Am I going to turn that shit over? No, that's my snack. That's my lunch. Kiss my ass. All right. But there are no gun border patrol between California and the rest of the country. So what did the law, why did the law have an effect on me? Why did I follow that law? And you were, uh, I, I guess if, if they raided your house and found them, they could have probably thrown you in jail. <laughs> For a very good long time. Yeah. <laughs> 
So they have, they have mandatory minimum sentences for possession of okay. these so-called assault weapons. And that scared the shit out of me. Mm. And I'm a law abiding citizen. And it's not like I'm <laughs> anticipating anyone ever raiding my house. That's just not a thing that happens. Right. I've never had my house raided. Okay. Yeah. But, but as, as we know, in America, houses do get raided completely accidentally <laughs> and unintentionally sometimes. <laughs> and even if it's accidental and unintentional and they find something like that, you are still held liable. So I can see, yeah, the point behind what, what you're saying. Yeah. And I just I'm not a big fan of prison, which is you know, <laughs> which is why I'll probably never be a CISO and why I did not want to have what. Oh. California considered a prohibited weapon in my home. I so see. me, as a law-abiding citizen, I made sure not to have them where I shouldn't have them. Who does this law not affect? Criminals. Who are not law-abiding citizens. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to be a deterrent for them. And, yeah. Um, yeah, you, which is not to say we shouldn't have laws because some people won't follow them. That's not, that's not what I'm saying here at all. What I'm saying here is that this law that on its face is already bad is further bad because it's not going to achieve even the intent that they wanted it to achieve. Mm. And at the end of the day, when the law was originally written, um, California stated these assault weapons are the preferred weapons used in mass shootings, including school shootings. And in fact, that may be the case. Um, the, the first major mass shooting that I'm familiar with uh, was the McDonald's shooting in San Bernardino, California, back in the 80s, where the, the person did use, I th think it was an AR-15 or an AK-47. So yes, that is a thing. However, as the judge pointed out in his ruling, there are 200 million of these firearms in private hands in the United States. Even if every single mass shooter used one, that means that 0.0008% of all mass shootings were done with assault weapons, or 0.008% or of all assault weapons are used in mass shootings. So by far, the vast majority of them are being used safely and securely by private citizens in a law-abiding manner. So it's still not achieving the purpose that they meant to, to achieve. Um, it'll be interesting what the Supreme Court says when California does appeal this. Uh, I get the feeling it will be slapped down. And then, in addition to dragging fiber to those um, uh, reservations in the Nevada desert in the nearby border to California, we should start importing assault weapons into California, Matt, <laughs> a new business model. We could slap the badger on them. We've got, yeah, we've got uh, just business ideas for days uh, on this show, <laughs> all kinds of ways. Why are we not billionaires yet? I don't, I don't understand with all these great because ideas. Because we're lazy and we talk yeah. about oh, this yeah. on a podcast as opposed oh, to actually doing it. There's that. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Anything else we didn't cover that we should have? Um. The one thing I wanted to bring up, I did uh, just facilitate a tabletop exercise uh, just this week with a client of mine. And uh, one of the things as we were doing our, our wrap up, we were kind of talking about, uh, we, we were simulating a, a, a breach scenario and, and kind of going through all the steps. And as we were getting towards the end of it, they were asking me, the client was asking me, okay, what, who do we actually call? besides Matt Snotty, uh, if we have a breach. And I said, okay, um, th there are various resources, including um, you know, local um, law enforcement. I said also the FBI um, has cyber divisions that are just for this type of stuff, especially if money is, is involved. Um, and lo and behold, yesterday, I happened to be on LinkedIn and the FBI had posted a post on LinkedIn saying, we're looking to reach out to cyber professionals um, in, uh, in our jurisdictions and to just um, basically engage with them to, to just so that we know who each other is so that in the event that an incident occurs, you know who to call, you know uh, who your, your field office is, the field office knows who you are and all this kind of stuff. And so uh, I just wanted to put that out that the FBI is doing a push now of basically like a kind of an outreach program to kind of get to know the the businesses and the professionals, the cyber professionals in their jurisdictions to, to you know, have a relationship. Um, that being said, I followed their link. Uh, I read everything on the FBI.gov website. I don't make a habit of going to the FBI's website, but I spent some time on there. And they never really say on there 
uh, something to the effect of, yeah, click this link and, and uh, you know, enter your, your information so that we'll, we'll know who you are or anything like that, which is kind of good because I wasn't going to anyway. But if you do feel so inclined, uh, your FBI local field office uh, does want to know who you are for their own most <laughs> Most major metropolitan areas have a chapter of InfraGuard which is the FBI-sponsored public-private fusion center that anyone can become a member of. And they happen to really like InfoSec professionals to join up. And it's where you can do this exactly what you're talking about, have lunch, talk. There's usually lectures. It's a mini conference that they host monthly, often. And if you get on their mailing list, they will forward you uh, updates and bulletins about current goings on um, and give some advice and, and so forth. So that this has been an effort for a good decade. This has been going on for a while. Um, I, go two ahead. questions. Is yeah. it like, um, or two things. I, I, I also think this is a cool idea. I would not know in Europe who would be like similarly responsible for stuff like that and who I should even reach out to. So it's very cool that, that, um, Apparently, the FBI is doing something there, but uh, for me as a foreigner, when when what I know about those three-letter agencies is, isn't that National Security Agency responsible for that sort of stuff? Isn't that no Bureau NSA, of Investigation? NSA like, is not supposed to operate domestically, with the exception of counterterror investigations. They their okay. charter was was expanded by the Patriot Act, but they were never supposed to do anything on U.S. soil, much less with U.S. citizens. Um, FBI has taken uh, a major step forward in infosec crimes in the past five to eight years, they've become kind of the forefront. For a while, it was Secret Service. Um, they, they they were the first ones before, while they were still Treasury, before they became DHS. Um, when they got retasked to DHS, their mission kind of morphed a little bit. And, and now DOJ is the mainstay here. Um, there are two potential downsides to programs like this. And Matt kind of hinted at one. Um, <laughs> Those of us in this industry, as much as we want to stay as the public facing appearance as being completely ethical and, and avoiding all malfeasance, we still have a healthy disrespect and fear of authority and intrusiveness. Um, you know, Matt, you were even kind of joking about not giving them your information or spending time on their website. Why is that, Matt? You're a law-abiding citizen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the same reason I don't <laughs> invite police into my house for <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> don't poke the bear. <laughs> right. Yeah, as we all know, um, uh, anytime law enforcement is involved, uh, there's always a chance that they're going to see something, smell something, hear something uh that that uh rouses their suspicions and then all of a sudden you're under investigation for something you had nothing <laughs> to do with or or didn't want to be involved with to begin with so yeah and, and you know in some cases you have to yeah yeah like if you are a publicly traded corporation mm -hmm. you have to make notification to federal authorities but if you're a private entity and you suffer a breach and it's only you who is the the sole owner of the thing and it's only your financial damages well then you might want to eat those rather than invite uh, federal <laughs> authorities into your home it's like inviting in vampires right they can't come in unless you ask them to yeah uh, that's that's the first thing uh the second thing is matt you also mentioned this in the discord if i'm joe bumble the fbi agent and my boss posts a thing on the internet that says, hey, call Joe if you have any IT problems. <laughs> Poor Joe. Poor Joe. <laughs> He's Poor have his, Bumble. His, his phone's getting blown up. His email is, um, inbox is full. <laughs> and is it, is, are those phone calls coming from the three of us because we have some problem with our clients and because, no, mm -hmm. Joe's phone is getting blown up by a bunch of, Grandma's absolutely crazy <laughs> freaks who think that the criminals are inside their listening uh, devices in their ear and, and are, you know, whispering to them to commit crimes. I mean, you know, poor Agent Bumble is going to be inundated with a bunch of crap reports 
as opposed to doing yeah. good yeah. law enforcement stuff like stopping people like Mr. Bankman Freed from ripping off everybody's money. Yeah. The the signal to noise ratio is going to go way off the scale. Yep. <laughs> for for him. Uh yeah. but yeah, even in my career, um being in forensics and stuff like that, when people find out about that, I have gotten those types of of communications from people who uh c call me, text me, email me pseudo randomly because they heard that I do this type of stuff. And they're like, Hey, I think my phone's being hacked. Can you help me <laughs> figure it out? And then the, the answer is always there. Are, 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 are you a nation state actor? Are you on the global stage? Are you in the military? Do you work with nuclear weaponry? If the answer is no to all those, you're probably not being hacked. <laughs> well, still, I want to know for sure. Uh, okay. Here's my fee. Okay, never mind. I guess I'm not being hacked. <laughs> so I, you know, I have that out because I'm a private citizen and I charge for my <laughs> services. Uh, Joe Bumble at the FBI office is a public servant though and doesn't have that option. <laughs> that poor bastard, poor Agent Bumble, not only has to take the call, has to log it, document <laughs> yeah. it, because oh, paperwork. 18, 18 months from now, when that caller shoots up a grocery store, yeah. Agent yeah. Bumble has to say, yes, I did speak to this person, and here's what we talked about. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it kind of goes back to my initial concern. Anytime you talk to the FBI, you're going in a database. Oh, yeah. Whether it's completely benign, <laughs> completely, you know, hey, I just was was checking to make sure that somebody answered this phone, something like that. Nope, you're, you're now logged. <laughs> yeah, oh, the FBI's keeping a list, and they're checking it twice. Yeah, better than Santa. <laughs> and, and you're being marked naughty or nice. I mean, yeah. it's 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 in there, you know, regardless regardless whether you're good, bad, or indifferent, right? Yeah. It's funny. Now, I've, I mean, you mentioned the Secret Service. I've, I've actually interacted on multiple occasions in the past with the Secret Service due to uh, uh, incidents and things like that going on with clients. I never had that concern talking with, with any Secret Service agent. It's like a completely different... You know, it's a whole different animal, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> FBI, not so much. <laughs> yeah, it's it's that line from uh, uh, the first Men in Black where Tommy Lee Jones says, "No, we at the FBI have no sense of humor, as far as we know." Yeah, yeah. As far as we know, yeah. uh, <laughs> they, they didn't. They or didn't that we're aware of. Issue it to us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll give you the. I'll give you this little bit of uh, solace. Uh, for future reference to close out today's show. Um, after I left the employee of the FBI as a uh, contractor, um, having worked in the J. Edgar Hoover building for six months, I FOIA'd my own file. Oh. And the FBI sent me a nice letter back saying they'd lost it. <laughs> so at least there's there's that consolation that... <laughs> Due to incompetence, they do not have the omniscience that they normally purport to have. So that can work in our favor, too. Uh, I'd be interested to see what they actually did have on you. <laughs> I, I found out. I, I'll tell you how I found out. I wrote them back and I said, well, I kept a copy. Would you like my copy of it? <laughs> funny. <laughs> suddenly, suddenly they found my file and sent oh, it. Funny. Oh. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, until next time, I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. And I'm Raphael Fiedler. Join us again next week for another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec. Hey there, listener. Matt here. If you like listening to Ben, Robin, Rafti, Joey, or myself, please consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash securitized. Interested in training for CISSP, CCSP, CISM, SSCP, CCSK, boy, that's a lot of letters, or other InfoSec certifications? Go to Ben's website for all his training programs at wannabeacissp.com. That's spelled W-A-N-N-A-B-E-A-C-I-S-S-P.com. We are on Discord. Engage with us by searching for the channel Wanna Be a CISSP. Feedback or questions on what we discuss? Send a good old-fashioned email to Ben at benmaliso.com. You may hear a shout-out or your feedback on a future show. 
We're all working professionals in the InfoSec industry, so feel free to link up with us on LinkedIn. Support Rofty's company and test drive their free firewall software called Portmaster, downloadable at their website, safing.io, spelled S-A-F-I-N-G dot I-O. Support Joey's company, Blue Edge Networks, at blueedgenetworks.com, and listen to Joey's podcast called Topic of Choice at topicofchoice.com. Join us on Reddit at slash r slash ssoi underscore fans. All opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and for entertainment purposes only. They do not necessarily reflect the opinions of our companies, affiliates, employers, guests, or even each other. No advice given here should be followed without consulting with a professional for any specific InfoSec situation you may experience.